0: Mike. Lauren. <laughs> Mike, do you own any cryptocurrencies?
1: Uh, I am sad to say I do not. Why not? Um, I don't know, it's just a little bit too volatile for me. I'm a pretty conservative guy when it comes to my money.
0: I would not describe you as conservative, but I I guess fiscally you are.
1: Sure. I mean, I like taxes as much as the next guy, but uh <laughs> prices that go way up and down every 15 minutes not for me. Not that's not where I put my money.
0: All right. Well, we're going to be talking a lot about cryptocurrency in this week's Gadget Lab. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good, a senior writer at Wired.
1: And I'm Wired senior editor, Michael Calori.
0: And we're joined this week by Wired staff writer, Greg Barber. Hey, Greg. Nice to see you over the Zoom.
1: Hi there. Yeah, good to see you too.
0: Also, Greg, I don't know if you can see behind me, but um, I have your Wired cover, the CRISPR cow behind me on my shelf too, along with a few other Wired covers.
2: Oh, wow. I'm honored. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I just love that cow. All right. Uh, Today we're talking about, not about CRISPR cows, today we're talking about Tesla and Bitcoin. We just can't get away from Elon Musk, who I'm increasingly convinced controls this strange, strange simulation we are currently living in. Only this week, we won't be talking about Elon himself quite as much as we did last week when he made his appearance on the new Clubhouse app. This week, Tesla announced that it bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin and plans to accept it as payment. Elon Musk, Tesla's co-founder and CEO, has long expressed interest in cryptocurrency, as have a lot of other prominent technologists who believe the future is decentralized. So later in the show, we're going to talk about other types of cryptocurrency, including Dogecoin, which started as a meme or a joke, but then people actually began trading on it after Musk tweeted about it. But first, we're going to talk about Tesla and Bitcoin. Greg, you wrote a story on wire.com this week about this. What's going on?
2: Well, you know, I think uh, Musk is going to musk is probably the first part, (laughs) first way to put it. Um, But really, there are two elements to this. Um, So the first is, as you say, there's this $1.5 billion investment in Bitcoin. Um, And there's kind of a boring answer to why Tesla would be doing this. Um, You know, basically, as they put it out in their uh, filing where they said that they had done this purchase, uh, they said, basically, we can make money off of this. And that's actually something that you've been seeing a lot more corporations and banks and hedge funds say, um, you know, they've been... basically looking at the landscape of finance right now, and they've been seeing, you know, stocks are maybe a little bit overvalued, and they've been seeing that, uh, you know, they're not going to make much money off of cash or bonds. So actually, they're getting more interested in cryptocurrency. So all these companies that are getting more interested in Bitcoin are actually thought to be part of the reason why Bitcoin is getting so expensive these days. Um, Basically, institutional investors getting in, uh, investors like Tesla, for example, um are piling on and they're saying you know we actually think this thing is going to stick around for a while and we think that we can make some money off of it um so that's sort of the simple and also a little bit cynical take uh on why tesla is interested in in bitcoin uh they can make money off of it um but then there's this other kind of interesting aspect to tesla's announcement and that's that uh they're actually going to be taking bitcoin for teslas in other words you can buy your car with bitcoin um, and that, I think, is uh, speaks to a little bit more of the kind of cultural association that one might have between Bitcoin and Tesla. Obviously, Bitcoin superfans tend to be Tesla superfans. Um, and there actually tends to be a lot of symbiosis between those two groups that probably won't surprise anyone at all. Um, so I don't know, it's it's a little bit unclear how many people are going to be taking up Tesla's offer to spend Bitcoin on cars. Um, But, you know, it seems like pretty good marketing to me, uh, actually, uh, in terms of, um, you know, speaking to that Bitcoin audience and, you know, kind of formalizing all these associations that we might have in our minds between EV enthusiasts and, and Bitcoin fans.
1: So how would it work exactly? Like, do I just go to the website and pick out the car that I want and then give them my Bitcoin information and then order the car?
0: Well, Mike, you know, you'd have to have Bitcoin to do that first, just an FYI. And, and as you stated at the top of the show, you, you're not a crypto guy, so
1: I, I'm speaking hypothetically. Oh, for the,
0: okay, okay.
1: F- for the the uh, you know for the benefit of our <laughs> listeners, Lauren. <laughs> and that's true. You
2: know, actually, in fact, Mike, you would have had to have had one Bitcoin uh, at the time that they made this <laughs> announcement because that was the uh, the value of a Bitcoin was basically equal to uh, the base Model Three um so so <laughs> just need one um but yeah so, so this is something that still needs to be worked out um tesla has basically said that they plan to take bitcoin at some point in the future they haven't said anything about the specifics how they're going to handle the payment processing you know a lot of companies will actually uh, say that they're taking your bitcoin but then they'll actually convert it into something else first um that's typically how bitcoin transactions work for something like a car, it might actually be easier to take Bitcoin directly because um, just the kind of transaction costs are less meaningful in terms of the total cost of a car. Um, it can be expensive to use Bitcoin just because of the, the energy and um, the, the fees that go into um, go into trading Bitcoin. But that's a long way of saying that we don't quite know just yet how the logistics will work.
0: Greg, you've actually just reminded me at the start of the show, I wanted to look up how much a single Bitcoin was worth and then monitor it so we could gauge the price at the end of the show. OK, right now, a single Bitcoin is worth Forty-seven thousand eight hundred and ninety-two dollars and ninety-two cents. So yeah, uh, let's see if we can upgrade our our Tesla cars by the time the show ends. Depending on how much it fluctuates,
2: depends on how much uh, Musk is tweeting
1: through our podcast.
0: Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Mike, you had a good question about whether or not we know Elon is like actually serious about this, right?
1: Yeah. Like like Greg just mentioned, you know, Elon tweets about Bitcoin. When he tweets about Bitcoin, it actually meaningfully moves the price of Bitcoin. Um, I think you mentioned in your story, Greg, that at one point uh, Elon put uh, hashtag Bitcoin in his Twitter bio and the price shot up 20%. So, you know, we know that he is fond of using social media to move money markets, Um As you've mentioned, other companies are interested in Bitcoin, investing in Bitcoin. Some financial institutions are investing in Bitcoin, and that collectively is moving the price up. But are we sure this isn't one of Elon's little ploys? That's a really good
2: question, Mike. I think that, you know, what I should say first is that $1.5 billion is a lot of money, um, even for Tesla. Um, I think they had something like 19 billion dollars of cash on hand um, uh, as of this announcement. So I mean, 1.5 billion out of 19. You know, it's a it's a sizable investment that's happening. Not a little um, ploy,
1: not a little ploy, but a, a large ploy.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. He is also a fan of doing of uh, making large ploys. So <laughs> so who knows? Um, but I, I do think you bring up a really good point. Is that um, you know this is a really unique investment and that the company itself has so much power over where it goes. Um, we don't know exactly when Tesla, uh, made this investment. It could have been in like late January. It could have been in early February. I'm not sure if, if anybody has pinned down the exact date, but I mean, even, yeah, even adding hashtag Bitcoin to, uh, to Elon Musk's bio that basically paid off the investment for them. You know, there are ways of seeing this, that, you know, this is sort of yeah, you know, it's hard not to believe that there's some kind of calculation that's going into this. Where hey, they know that they have more control over this asset than they have control over other assets. Um, so I think that that's definitely a factor in it. Um, as but as for whether it's a ploy, you know, it's it's um, this doesn't feel like a joke or a <laughs> or any kind of uh, uh, play like that um, from from Musk.
0: And is he just able to tweet like this, and it's it's not regulated in any way? Like, no one can stop him from doing this, or he's not going to get penalized or fined the way he, you know, might for tweeting 420. Or
2: <laughs> he yeah, did that yeah. Time. You know, we may have some, some securities lawyers uh, jumping in the comments uh, <laughs> hearing me say this, but I don't believe so, um, you know, in terms of Bitcoin being, you know, it's an independent asset. Like, I, I'm sure that bankers are free to tweet about gold and how much they think it's great, um, you know, in, in that sense, like Bitcoin is an independent entity from musk and tesla but they do have a lot of influence over it um so i i I should caveat that by saying i'm not a lawyer i've not looked into the uh regulatory implications of of this but um but no obvious red flags uh come up for me
0: so what i hear you saying greg is that there is a certain legitimacy at this point to bitcoin which has been around for years, Um, and we're seeing more institutional investors get into it. Earlier this week, analysts from RBC, that's Royal Bank of Canada, said that Apple should start buying and accepting Bitcoin, that they could unlock a multi-billion dollar business by doing this. Um, Now, there are some bank executives, most famously Jamie Dimon, that have long been skeptical about Bitcoin, but even JP Morgan seems to be coming around to the idea now. So it is becoming, you know, more legit. But there are also still a lot of skeptics. And what are the skeptics most concerned about with Bitcoin?
2: Yeah, so I haven't, I, you know, <laughs> Jamie Dimon's relationship with, with Bitcoin uh, is definitely a moving target. I, I recall at one point he was calling it a fraud. Um, <laughs> and then he seems to have uh, kind of toned it down a little bit. And I, I think he said late, recently, it wasn't his cup of tea. Um, <laughs> okay. so.
0: he Downgraded. Or upgraded? Yeah. Right.
2: <laughs> so perhaps reflecting some of his friends maybe getting more, uh, his friends at other banks getting more um, interested or kind of accepting the legitimacy of Bitcoin. Um, I guess I have a little bit of a philosophical answer to this, which is that the things that we choose to become sort of legitimate assets, like things that we say are going to stick around, that we can invest in, like this is always a sort of fraught and um, kind of a fraught territory that has a lot to do with just sort of like the narratives and how we like talk about certain assets. Um, You know, like there are certain inherent qualities of Bitcoin that make it, you know, valuable, it's scarce, and, you know, people are using it in different ways. Um, but then, you know, I think that a lot of people come in with skepticism that, you know, sort of why this thing, like, why are we treating this particular thing as a thing that is worth something and that we're all going to sort of communally come around and, you know, say is, is an asset, um, you know, like gold has the advantage of thousands of years of, you know, people thinking it's pretty and shiny and, um, <laughs> it's inherently worth something. Um, Bitcoin only has 10 years of that history. Um, So I could see that, you know, certain people in the banking world say, you know, this isn't this is a legitimate thing. Um, The one other thing I'll say about that is that there are definitely concerns about, say, centralization of power um, in Bitcoin um, that say the miners, which are the groups of people who basically run machines that keep the network secure, like maybe there's too much power concentrated in certain places, like maybe this isn't as secure as we think that it is. Um, So I think that, you know, there's also skepticism of that, that like, hey, maybe this thing actually won't stick around uh, for another 10 years, let alone, you know, 50 or
1: 100, as some people like to think it will. I'd like to ask about that energy equation. Um, You know, the mining of the Bitcoin, the processing of the transactions, it requires a lot of computing power. And therefore, uh, the currency as a whole has a pretty big carbon footprint. Uh, exactly how big that carbon footprint is is up for debate because, you know, proponents were quick to tell you that uh, somewhere around 70 percent of Bitcoin's energy needs are filled by renewables. But either way, how should we think about the fact that an EV company intent on fighting global warming wants to start accepting a form of payment that is so energy intensive?
2: Yeah, there's definitely some irony there. Yeah. Um... I guess I would start with that 70% figure that that you mentioned, um, because that's a number that Bitcoin advocates will really tie themselves into knots in order to prove. Um, It's a really, really hard number to pin down, though. Um, Part of this is that the sources of energy that go into Bitcoin mining actually change um, all the time. Um, So recently, the value of Bitcoin's been going up a lot. So it's actually been requiring a lot more energy. And we don't know where that energy is necessarily coming from. The other aspect is that throughout the year, the energy sources actually change. So sometimes you get more renewable power from dams. There's a wet season in China where a lot of miners will actually migrate physically uh, to be closer to dams and then it goes back to coal. Um, But I guess, so I I was thinking about this um, the other day, looking back on a piece I wrote, I think two years ago now, it was about a town up in Montana or not really, a town by Montana Sanders, it was Missoula, uh, Montana. (laughs) Um, And so they were actually going uh, through a vote to ban Bitcoin mining locally. And what was interesting is that the mines were actually purchasing power directly from a dam. Um, It was exclusively renewable energy. But the reason why the town wanted to ban Bitcoin mining was because they said, hey, if you are using all the power from the dam, then we have to get our power from somewhere else. We have to get it from this giant oil power plant halfway across the state. Um, So it's like anything in this economy where you have finite resources and, you know, you need to decide how you want to use your energy. You know, is it on mining Bitcoin? Is it on server farms? Is it on plugging in your Tesla? All
0: right, we're going to take a quick break. Before we go to break, let's do a quick Bitcoin check again. All right. Ooh, looks like the value has gone down a little bit. It's now worth $47,785.18 dollars 18 Elon, if you're out there, you might want to start tweeting. Just kidding. Don't tweet any more than you need to. All right. (laughs) We'll be right back. (laughs) In the early days of cryptocurrency, it was hailed as a game changer, a complete revolution of how money is spent. Now there are a bunch of cryptocurrencies out there. Bitcoin is, of course, the most well-known, but we want to talk about other cryptos and blockchain tech and how we trade money in general. Greg, let's talk about Dogecoin. What the heck is going on? with What is Dogecoin and what is going on with it?
2: Oh, boy. Yes, I guess first a little <laughs> bit of history. <laughs> so the origins of Dogecoin are actually kind of basic. Um, it relates to essentially that Bitcoin is an open source technology, which means that people can copy it, they can modify it, they can make their own coins. And so pretty early on in the days of Bitcoin, somebody did this. um, And they decided that, um, you know, Bitcoin was a little bit inaccessible, it was a little scary. So they were going to do something that was more appealing to the masses. And they decided that this would be Dogecoin, uh, named after the uh, popular meme involving a Shiba Inu, he says, uh, things in, with a kind of language that I'm not going to try to parody right now, uh, it's a dog, it's an internet dog, literally on the
0: internet, everyone knows this dog.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, So this is meant as like kind of a joke, Um, you know, it wasn't being, you know, people have to maintain Bitcoin, they have to make software upgrades, like people were not taking this as seriously. Um, But then honestly, to nobody's surprise at all, uh, this became kind of popular, and people started buying the coin, and it started to have value, Um, you know, people could sell it for more money. So, So this became a big thing, I think it was in like circa 2013. But uh, over time, you know, it had been sort of forgotten. It was the joke of the past um, until recently um, when uh, some Redditors got together. Uh, This is the same group, uh, same subreddit as the folks driving up the price of GameStop uh, stock uh, in recent days and decided, you know what, we're going to make this thing happen again. Um, so they basically colluded to, you know, we're all going to buy a bunch of uh, uh, Dogecoin, drive up the value, and then you get the celebrities who are uh, hopping on the train. So you've got Elon Musk out there tweeting, you know, all the all the memes and pushing, you know, people to buy it and goading people along. And next thing you know, it's gone up, you know, many thousands of percent in value, uh, and uh, Dogecoin has been resurrected from the dead. Um, so that's sort of the the, the short history of, of Dogecoin.
1: Um, you know, one of the things that you mentioned in your, in your Tesla story is that cryptocurrency, no matter what it is, it really needs to stabilize before people feel OK about spending it. You know, so if you buy Bitcoin tomorrow, then you may not want to spend it because it may be worth twice as much in a week. Um, you know, once it stabilizes, however, it's kind of makes it less valuable as a long term investment. So. How do the experts say that this is going to play out in the future with regards to whether or not it's going to be adopted on a mass scale due to stability?
2: Yeah, this is the, the Bitcoin paradox. Um, so, yeah, you either want something that you can spend and that lots of people are going to use and be interested in. But then how can you possibly do that if, you know, you know, like in the early days, uh, you know, people spent a couple of Bitcoin on a pizza now oh, it's worth, you know, 100 million dollars there's sort of a necessary conflict between those two things. Um, I think that recently, you know, we've seen so much momentum around this idea of investing in Bitcoin, um, particularly with all these companies getting involved. Um, Like I said before, it can feel at times like the notion of buying a Tesla with Bitcoin is a little bit of a novelty or a little bit of, you know, a kind of marketing play. Um, But at the same time, I mean, people are really trying to make it happen. Um, So a lot of the big payments networks have recently said that they'll start taking crypto. Um, typically what happens, um, say, for example, in the case of PayPal, which says it wants to um, enable Bitcoin payments at all of its vendors on its network, um, what will actually happen is they'll um, convert the Bitcoin into cash so that the business owner doesn't actually have to deal with any digital coins. So, so again, it's, like, it's a little bit more of a symbolic um, thing. Um, but yeah, I think it is hard to know how it will play out in the long term. I mean, maybe Bitcoin's price will stabilize enough and you'll start thinking of you know, different things you might want to buy in terms of Bitcoin, not in terms of dollars or, you know, have to convert first. Um, I guess the, the last thing that I would add to that, though, is that there are areas where Bitcoin has proven useful for payments, and they tend to be areas where you just can't really use cash right now. Um, so, you know, we've seen examples in places like Venezuela, where there's incredible inflation of the local currency. And so even a super volatile Bitcoin is still more useful than the local Bolivar um, or, you know, payments to sex workers, for example, online like that. Typically, those people are excluded from the, the traditional payment system and from banks. Um, so things like cryptocurrency have actually proven really useful. Um, It's just a matter of whether it can actually compete with mainstream payments, like when you go to Target.
0: So Greg, to bring it back to Dogecoin really quickly, what you're describing is there are certain places and systems where you can use Bitcoin to buy things. Can you, if you're trading in Dogecoin right now, can you actually use Doge to buy anything? Like, does anyone accept it anywhere?
2: That's a really good question. Um, I believe it has been built into some of the same networks that are allowing Bitcoin payments. I would have to double check on exactly where, like, I, I can come back to you with a list, Lauren, if, you, if you're looking to spend your Please. Doge Please, yeah.
0: I just look, I look forward to having a peak San Francisco moment one of these days when, like, I'm just strolling along, you know, the mission, wearing my mask, browsing apps on my iPhone, listening to Clubhouse on my iPhone, and I go into Sightglass Coffee, and I use Doge to buy, like, a double-skimmed almond milk latte. That's, that's like, really the moment I'm looking for here.
2: <laughs> you mean dystopia, Lauren.
0: Right. Yes, essentially. Okay, so this is kind of a long philosophical question about power. But one of the promises of these decentralized systems and goods, right, is that it strips power from institutions. And in this case, with Bitcoin, it's it's the banks or central banks. And also, you mentioned GameStop, right? So we're talking about this on the heels of all of the GameStop drama, which many people saw as an example of small guy investors beating Wall Street at its own game. But when you have some of the most powerful or richest people in the world backing crypto, whether that's Elon Musk or someone like Jack Dorsey, you know it makes me wonder what they stand to gain from it. Since it's hard to imagine already really powerful people in tech relinquishing a certain amount of power, right? So I kind of wonder what they, like. what do they ultimately get out of having these financial transactions decentralized? Um, and also, you know, to Mike's point about you know cryptocurrency maybe needing to stabilize, like, aren't the already rich and powerful pretty immune to a certain level of volatility that regular folks might not be?
2: Exactly. Yeah, I think that's the f- the first principle to go by, which is that high risk assets tend to benefit already wealthy people. Um, you know, there might be singular examples where somebody gets in early on something, um, and by chance they, they make off like a bandit, but for the most part. You know it's wealthy people who are who are able to invest in, in these things and take those risks. I think that Jack Dorsey is a really good example of that where um, you know he's actually said that he, he's a big Bitcoin fan but he's also said that he wants to embrace some kind of decentralized future for um, Twitter um, you know using maybe blockchain technology like some idea that you could have more like personal control over your data on the platform or on what you see on the platform it's all very very hazy um, but I think there's sort of a cynical read on that which can look at all that sort of empowerment talk and, you know, individuals getting to do what they want and sees, you know, maybe this is a company that doesn't want to have to really bear the responsibility for so many decisions. You know, they're in the business now banning presidents. Um, but wouldn't it be nice if, you know, they could kind of say that like each person has control over who they see or what they do. Um, and, and, you know, there's sort of a technological solution that takes away that decision-making that they're required to do. Um, you know, we saw that with Libra too, with, with Facebook's planned cryptocurrency, um, you know, the idea of using blockchain to, um, for a payments network that would kind of stand outside of the normal regulations and rules that the companies need to follow with financial products. And the, the idea with the blockchain aspect was, okay, we're going to have this sort of like equal consortium of companies that can kind of all share power and then therefore like never really be held accountable for their power, if that makes sense. So I guess it kind of goes back to what we were saying about payments, where there are these very specific use cases where it feels like the sort of original idea of the technology really makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, just there are places where just things aren't working and where this is presenting this kind of totally independent alternative for people to, you know, buy things or invest or what have you. Um, but then like when these things get co-opted by these very powerful entities you start wondering like okay like so what are they trying to avoid like what what structures are they trying to avoid that maybe they should be paying attention to things like regulations and responsibility for moderation decisions um so yeah i think it's a it's a really tricky balance and i think that you know particularly like governments and the people who do regulate these companies and these people um they kind of need to catch up they need to be thinking about, okay, like if if there's a new technology, there's a new structure of doing business or transacting, how do we kind of still keep that in the fold and keep those people accountable?
1: Um, Longtime listeners of the show and longtime readers of Wired will probably remember the story about the time that we were sent a Bitcoin miner. Uh, We asked for and received a review unit of a small Bitcoin miner from Butterfly Labs. And we plugged it in, in the newsroom, Turned it on and we managed to mine 13 Bitcoins. Uh, we had long discussions in the newsroom about what we what we should do with that money. And it was, you know, a not insignificant amount of money at the time. Uh, we decided that if we gained any benefit from it at all, it would color our coverage of cryptocurrency in the future. So the best thing to do would be to destroy that money. So we did. We ripped up the keys Uh, I believe they were ceremoniously thrown into the bay down by the baseball (laughs) park. Um, Louise Matsakis, our former colleague, uh, wrote a story about this three years ago. And the headline on that story was how Wired threw away $100,000 in Bitcoin. As you can imagine, the price of 13 Bitcoins is much, much greater now. It is around $540,000 that we threw away. So many years ago, Louise spoke with a bunch of sources for this story, and one of them told her that around 20% of all coins have been permanently lost. So there are significant technological hurdles that you have to clear in order to uh, understand cryptocurrency, buy cryptocurrency, hold cryptocurrency, and then spend cryptocurrency. And I just wonder what those hurdles have. Uh, in public confidence of crypto. And also, like, if 20% of the currency is just going to get lost, like, what effect does that have on the on the value?
2: Yeah, well, things have changed a lot since since those days. Um, I think that one of the biggest changes in cryptocurrency and part of what's actually driven so much interest and in some ways driven up the value so much is that it's just so much easier to hold cryptocurrency to buy it, to sell it. You can do it basically in the same apps that have also made buying, say, stocks really easy. You you can go to Robinhood or you can buy it through, you know, thinking of Dorsey again to the Cash app. Um, There are cryptocurrency exchanges like Coinbase that make it quite simple. Um, So this was not the case in the early days, which is when many people were doing what's called self-custodying their crypto. And so this, you know, depended on basically keeping track of all the passwords and making sure that, you know, you could get through all the security hurdles um, in order to access your Bitcoin. So a lot of people did actually lose their crypto that way. Um, You know, a lot of people are still really diehards for that model. You know, they say, you know, what is the point of having a cryptocurrency that is independent from the financial system and that is truly mine if I'm just basically giving it to Coinbase um, and letting them hold on to it and, you know, saying pinky promise, we won't, you know, do anything with that. So, so I would say that overall a lot fewer people are losing their crypto these days in that way. Um, It's funny though, because so many of those early people who were keeping their crypto by their kind of personal, you know, scrawling a password down on a slip of paper, those are the people who tend to have tremendous amounts of uh, crypto now because they bought, you know, like, 100 bucks of Bitcoin and now it's worth millions. Um, so you hear these stories of people who have just lost tremendous amounts of money um, off of this. I will say though that there are often ways to hack uh, these devices where crypto is stored. So um, I don't know if Wired has, has looked into that at all, if uh, <laughs> if the value gets high <laughs> enough. Um,
0: well, I mean, why would we have to hack a machine? I have an idea. Why don't we just launch a new coin? Why don't we just launch a wired coin, Greg?
1: Yeah, well, uh, well.
0: <laughs> Mike, can I have your permission to work on this project?
1: Yes, please. Uh, I'll take two.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll have y'all know. I actually slacked this yesterday to uh, Greg and our business editor, and I said, "Can we create a wired meme coin, a la Doge?" And um, they, no one responded.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just very rude on Slack, so. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I have a plan to save journalism. <laughs> Come on. All right, uh, Greg, this has all been super helpful. Stick around. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to do our recommendations for the week. Greg, as our guest of honor, what is your recommendation this week?
2: My recommendation is a cooking website that is called the Walks of Life. Um, That is W-O-K-S, as in the thing that you cook with. Um, this has been a complete lifesaver for me and my partner uh, throughout the pandemic. Um, and it's a little bit different from other cooking websites I found in that it really truly does feel like you're kind of learning from like a family member. Um, it's actually run by a family, it's like a uh, mother and father, and then two adult children. Um, and it just feels like this sort of like imparting of wisdom that is happening, um, uh, particularly around Asian cooking. Um, and my partner is Taiwanese-American, um, so she says it kind of feels like having her, her mom in the house, um, who lives far, far away from us. Um, so that's been, that has been a transformative presence in my quarantine for the past 10 months.
1: I'm looking at the website right now, and it just looks fantastic. I like that they have a whole section called Chinese Takeout, so you can like, recreate some of your favorite uh, dishes that you might normally order from takeout. And also, this is a really good recommendation for the Lunar New Year, which is happening oh, yeah. right now.
0: Greg, we should have you back on more often, not only to talk about Bitcoin, but also your, your cooking suggestions. I mean, they're a lot better than Glods, who's basically like, you should put mayonnaise on your egg sandwich, or you should slice lemons and keep it in Tupperware. I hope uh, the lot is listening to this, just so he knows we're throwing smart. shade. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's they, got the they're... actual tips.
2: He's
1: got the... Uh...
0: <laughs> right. They're more life hacks.
1: I'm just like, read a website. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Mike, what's your recommendation this week?
1: Uh, I'm going to recommend a new podcast. It's from the iHeartRadio Network, and it's called Off the Record, David Bowie. Uh, So the idea is that the Off the Record podcast, which just launched, is going to have a different star for every season. And this season, they are concentrating on the life of David Bowie. It is like a biography podcast, so every episode looks at one chunk of David Bowie's life and career. Uh, Thankfully, he divided up his career into different personas, so each episode explores a different persona. There is the pre-career David Bowie, and then there's uh, the London scene David Bowie, and then there's the um, space oddity David Bowie. Uh, So it just sort of progresses through his career. Uh, It is hosted by a guy named Jordan Runtog, who is one of the co-hosts of another of my favorite music podcasts called Rivals, which is also in the iHeartRadio network. And I've talked about it on the show before. Um, This one is Jordan talking to you and reading basically a very well-written script that reads like a biography. So it's like sort of like listening to an e-book. On, on David Bowie's life. Uh, it's you know filled with a bunch of surprises. I, I love David Bowie. Uh, I've been listening to him and reading books about him for years and there were a bunch of surprises in the first two episodes things that I had never heard before. Uh, so the sourcing is really deep and it's a lot of fun uh, particularly if you're a fan of his music. I would recommend listening to the an episode and then listening to an hour of David Bowie's music before going on to the next episode. So.
0: Absolutely. This sounds great. I mean, what an inspiration David Bowie was.
1: Yeah, I agree. I'm inspired by him every day and he's been gone, what, five years now? So it's a good opportunity to go back and and revisit him. Um, Anyway, on a brighter note, Lauren, what's your recommendation?
0: My recommendation is that you buy WiredCoin, our new (laughs) cryptocurrency.
1: Value's going up already. (laughs) That's right.
0: Um, no, we just need some really high-profile people to tweet about it. My actual recommendation this week is to watch the Britney Spears documentary on Hulu, which is produced by the New York Times. Um, it's just about an hour and 15 minutes long, so it's on a super long watch, but it is uh, riveting. And all I want to say is, free Britney. All right, that's our show this week. Thank you, Greg, for joining us. It's been such a long time. I think the last time you joined us on Gadget Lab, we were probably in the newsroom together yeah craig i do remember one time in the newsroom i i like grabbed you and had you sit by our desks and i shoved a microphone in your face and i was like talk about crypto <laughs> like I think that, I was because, like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> because we were experimenting with new forms of i had this great idea that it would make for great audio to just drop by people's desks when they were in the middle of doing things uh, and be like tell me yeah. about your story and then
2: of course you'd picked me like the most like, <laughs> like. cannot handle uh, surprises person
1: in the newsroom.
0: Well, you did great then and you did great today. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: And should we do one more price check before we say goodbye?
1: Absolutely. Wait, on Bitcoin or on WiredCoin?
0: On on Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin is, um, it keeps going down. Now it's at $47,723.16. Maybe we should stop podcasting now. We might be driving it down.
1: (laughs) No, that's okay. Because, you know, (laughs) (laughs)
0: oh snack fight it's a pleasure as always yes and thanks to all of you for listening if you have feedback you can find all of us on twitter just check the show notes mike is also a new clubhouse star so you can find him there just kidding he's on android so he's not on clubhouse yet this show is produced by the excellent boone ashworth thank you boone as always goodbye for now and we'll be back next week